0: answer really the deep question that has been throughout the series is where is joy found so he said a lot of things he's given a lot of principles but as he begins to conclude the book in typical paul fashion he doesn't always outline it doesn't always outline very well okay when you read the end of an epistle that Paul wrote, the outlines kind of go away and it's almost like he's just giving you bullet points. Like, here's this, here's this, here's this. And so this, that, chapter number four begins that, but we've got, I think we've got an outline to where we can make it cohesive and uh, hopefully be a help to you. And so we're going to be answering the question, where is joy actually found? So verse number one, the Bible says this, therefore, my brethren dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crowned. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. My joy and crown. Those are very strong words. We'll we'll come back to those. I beseech you, Yeodias, and beseech Sintaichi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true Yokefellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with many other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You all want to sing? Okay, okay, just wanted to make sure. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's some of my favorite verses here in these next two verses. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 6 and 7, if you have not memorized those and taken those to heart, I would encourage you to do so. Those are some of the most powerful verses in scripture. We'll talk a little bit about them tonight, but we've also talked about them before in class and actually in a Wednesday night service as well. Says verse number eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace shall be with you. I want you to go back and look at verse number six. He says, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Where is joy found? There's a lot of different answers you can give to that. A lot of different biblical answers, I think, that would probably be accurate that you can give to that. But Paul really hones in on it. He closes this book with saying, let me just give you some practical pointers on where you can find joy. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for another opportunity to stand and teach your word. Lord, I I know that uh, it's so easy to take it for granted, Lord. I know that I standing up here week in and week out uh, was something that we missed and that I missed during, um, during quarantine and, Lord, during all the stuff that's happened in our world. And so, God, we thank you just for the opportunity to be together, Lord, for the opportunity to look into your word. I pray that you'd help me as I teach it tonight, Lord, give me the words to say, Lord, give me the thoughts to say. Lord, help me to be able to pull this together so that it is applicable to the people in this room. Lord, I pray that you would be able to help us take it. Lord, let your spirit work in our hearts and our lives to be able to apply it and learn from it. In your name we pray. Amen. I mentioned that where is joy found is a very broad question. Where is joy found? There's a lot of different answers. There's answers that we can give that would be spiritual. Okay, Well, joy is found in serving Jesus, and you're absolutely right joy is found in doing god's will and you're absolutely right joy is found in worship joy is found in bible study joy is found in prayer and there's a lot of different things that joy is found in but he makes a statement in verse number seven that i want you to kind of catch on to and then i want you to be able to see that this is really the crux of where joy is found he says in verse number seven and the peace of god which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus and the peace of God. How many of you ever at Christmas time you've walked through? The mall, or you've walked maybe through—I don't. No one goes to the mall anymore. So you've walked through some maybe Christmas setup, or maybe you've gone to see the lights down at Opryland, and you see some of these banners, or you see like these big bulbs that they have out that are decorations, and they say love, joy, peace, hope. How many of you have ever seen some of that stuff, right? Those are biblical words, aren't they? And it's funny that even as we have really commercialized Christmas, okay. That there are still things that creep into our Christmas traditions as simple as words. That there's love, joy, peace, hope. There's these just flowery words that we, so we would say, those come from Christ. Those come from the birth of Christ and accepting Jesus Christ as, as your Savior. And here's what I would propose to you. Is that when we talk about finding joy, our joy which I, if you want to really give it a definition, it is an outward expression of what Christ is doing in us. Our joy, who we are, okay? How we exude happiness. Not a happiness that's based off of here. Not a joy that's based off of what we have or what we don't have. But it's, it's an expression of who we are. What we're feeling at that point. But here's what I want to propose, is that joy and finding it is found in what we believe about god in our heart how we are currently feeling about our life and about god at that moment because here's what i've found the moments that i lack joy are normally ones to where if i'm being honest i've got some frustrations. The moments that I lack joy are normally the ones to where I've got some doubts, some things that I just can't figure out. The moments that I maybe lack joy are sometimes where I just don't understand. Maybe maybe I'm lacking some clarity and some directions. That is the moment to where the joy seems to fade. But when my hope, and according to this verse, my peace is found in God, Then here's what i would propose if your peace is found in god then your joy can be shown to others and sometimes when our peace gets disrupted and it's like i just don't really get it this isn't how i planned it i've got questions i've got doubts i've got frustrations those are the moments that when our little world gets shaken when our peace gets shaken then our joy gets shaken as well. And so we really want to look at really four different places that joy comes from. The first one is this, that joy comes from serving alongside of others. Joy comes from serving alongside others. You say, okay, if my peace determines my joy, if the peace of God determines, Dictates how joyful I am to those around me. What do I do in the moments where that peace has been disrupted? What do I do in the moments where maybe I don't understand, where I do have doubts? Here's what I would suggest to you. Instead of focusing on what you can't figure out and instead of focusing on what you don't know, begin to focus on what you can do for someone else. Begin to that's weird. Oh, the kids are singing. I'm like so freaked out by that computer that it's not working. I'm just assuming that it's going to start doing weird stuff. So anyways, okay, kids are singing. Um, That's so distracting now. All right. (laughs) But in the moments where you maybe can't figure that out, where maybe you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, in that moment, it is important for you to say, okay, I'm not going to focus on what I don't know. I'm going to focus on what I do know. And here's what you know according to Jesus Christ and according to how he's exemplified and lived his life out, is that you can serve others even at moments where you maybe don't understand it. You can serve someone else even at moments where maybe you don't know what's going on in your life, but you can be a help to someone else in their life. And when you get in the, really the reins, when you get in the yoke with someone else that's doing the same thing, there is joy that comes from that. Now your joy is, and we talked about this dynamic a little bit a couple of weeks ago, your joy is not based off of who is beside you. Well, look at that guy. I mean, I'm really glad that I get to serve alongside of you. Or look at that girl. Like, I'm really glad that, yes, let us please serve together. And that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Because then when they move to another ministry, you're like, ah, oh, I hate this ministry. I hate serving, right? They're gone, okay? That's not how that's supposed to work. The joy is that you're pushing toward the same thing together. You're going the same direction. So I want you to notice a couple things about serving alongside of others. First of all, serve alongside people that bring you joy. He says this, my joy and crown. Now this is not going to happen every single time you serve, okay? The truth is, is that most time you're going to serve along someone that you're kind of like, eh, I don't know how I feel about you, all right? That's actually more times than the other way, all right? But when you can look, at those around you and you can say, you know what? I'm thankful that this person has stuck with it. I'm thankful that this person has lived out what they have said they were going to. He says, my joy and my crown. The word crown there is a word of honor, okay? He says, you are my honor. And let me just encourage you that you need to have someone in your life that you can look at and say, I get joy from seeing what God has done in your heart and in your life. Now, it's not your main source of joy, okay? but it is someone that you can say, man, I am so thankful. Maybe you got to have a small part in it. Maybe it's someone that you taught. Maybe it's someone that you discipled. Maybe it's someone that you invited to church. Maybe it's someone that you've just seen grow. You've been in class with them. You've been in church with them and you've gotten to see them grow. Serve alongside of people that you can look at and you can say, it's an honor to have been a part of that. It is joyful for me to see what God has done in your heart and in your life. Secondly, serving alongside of people that are standing in the Lord. He says this in verse number one. He says, my joy and crown so stand fast in the Lord. Remember, this is an ideal church. This is the church that he says, you're doing it right. I'm just here to spur you along. I'm your cheerleader. Keep going. So he says, if you're my joy and my crown, you're someone that brings me honor. You're someone who brings me joy. Then you need to remain standing fast in the Lord. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. And wouldn't it be great if in 30, 40, 50, 60 years, if as as you're scrolling through Facebook, maybe the people that you got to encounter in high school, maybe the people that you encountered in this room and in Crosspoint, you see them with their families attending church, growing in the Lord, continuing to do the same things that you saw them doing years ahead of time. That is what faithfulness is about. That is the goal of every single one of us in this room. Stand fast in the Lord. Thirdly, serve alongside people that are of the same mind. Serve alongside people that are of the same mind. He says, I beseech you, Odeus, and, uh, and beseech Sentaichi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I don't know if there's something that he's trying to fix right here think it might have been something that could have been in the early stages of a lack of unity maybe some disagreement in the church but he says be of the same mind did you know that you're already good at doing this you're already good at finding people that are of the same mind let me prove it to you look at the people that are around you maybe not right now but the people that you consider closest to you do they disagree with many of your things or do they agree with them Most of us would say, agree, right? They agree. They don't push us on too many things. Most of our lives exist in an echo chamber. And some people would kind of counteract that and say, well, then you need to find a new group of friends. Touche, I don't know that it's accurate, but most of what we do encompasses people that are of the same mind. Chances are right now, okay? right now let me just let me just prove this to you okay the people that you hang out with probably have the same viewpoint on mask about the coronavirus than the people you don't hang out with right All, most of the people that you're probably like oh yeah we hate mask we hate mask yeah, yeah. okay that was monsters inc in case you were wondering i'm just kidding right most people have the exact same viewpoint as what you do oh well we need to do everything we can to help with this you're going to surround yourself with the exact same viewpoint you are going to surround yourself watch this with people that are of the same mind okay chances are if you absolutely love sports you're not in the Facebook group, people who hate sports, okay? Like, yeah, I want to hang out with those guys. If you hate sports, you're probably not in the Facebook group of every sports arena or sports activity known to man, okay? Because why? You find people that are of the same mind. Now, let me stop for just a second, okay? We shouldn't have gone the political route. I apologize, and now I'm, I'm off of it, okay? But listen for just a second, Okay? As a Christian, you should be of the same mind of everybody in this room. Not about sports, not about politics, not about, but you should be focused on the same thing as everyone else in this room. And here's what I fear is going to happen with Christianity in America. I don't think that most of the christians in america and most of the christians in the world are going to fall off the wagon because they fall into some deep dark sin i don't think that i think that we honestly if i had my reason for it i think we're too worried about our appearance to do that okay but here's what i do think I do think that Satan will divide the same mind and the unity of Christianity and the focus of Christianity by getting us off topic and divided on stuff that doesn't matter. Check Facebook of people over the age of 40 right now. Check your social media account. I had one of my friends that's a pastor actually tweeted today, and he said, go look at your last three months of tweets. Based off of your three months, last three months of tweets, what have you been more focused on, God or the things going on in this world? And I don't think that Satan is going to come in and be like, well, if I can only get every Christian in, in America to, to start smoking marijuana and start, like, start getting involved in deep, dark sin. and start No, I don't think he's going to do that. I think what he's going to do is get Christians to get ticked off at other Christians and start talking about the stuff that doesn't matter rather than the stuff that does. And here's what I look at when I see this world, okay? And you'll have to forgive me. This is probably my hobby horse. I don't even know if it goes with Philippians, but get over it because I'm the one talking, all right? (laughs) We will talk more about stuff that does not send people to heaven than we will talk about people that, about getting someone to heaven. Most of us, me included, have talked more about what is going on and what we think is actually happening and our conspiracy theories and, and well, the, someone said this. and so, We've talked more about that since March than we have talked about how can we use this to see people saved. And I'll be honest with you, I have a major problem with that. With, when I do it, too, okay? I'm not throwing stones that I'm not willing to catch myself. Because what I think that we are seeing right now is God giving us another shot at revival. At, uh, is God giving us another shot to say, hey, this world's getting bad. Get your life in order. But we've gotten so caught up in, well, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and I'm going to fight for this, and I'm going to fight against this, and I'm going to say this, and, I'm, and we're outspoken about everything except for Christ. We're outspoken about everything except for what could actually change someone's heart. We're outspoken about everything that, uh, that doesn't matter in light of eternity, then what does? And here's what he says brings joy. I knew I was going to get back to it. Here's what he says brings joy. He says, serving alongside of people that have the same mind. And if you recognize in your life, you've already done that. So why not do it with what matters? Why not take the group of friends that you have that love sports, okay? And say, hey, let's go to a sports event and share the gospel. What a great idea, okay? I know of a pastor who was a former um, football player. And every place that he's pastored, he's gotten involved in the public schools as a coach, and he gets to share the gospel. He's become really their chaplain for every public school that he's ever been to. That is him recognizing that it's not about sports, okay? It's about being a part of God's mind and God's plan. We've spent too much time on that. Let's move on. Serving people alongside people that are focused on the gospel. He says, I entreat thee also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Those women which labored with me in the gospel. Sometimes I wonder about what people would say about us. If they came and they, they served at our church, they served in our class for five years, okay? Served in our class maybe for a year. Let's even go less if they were to write a letter back to us, or that's old school, okay, let's don't go that route. If they were to post on Facebook about their time here, would they say, this was the group of people that I got to labor in the gospel with? Or would they say, oh, this is the group of people, and don't take this wrong, okay? I'm not like, once again, I'm not throwing stones. I'm I'm the guy who plans the activities sometimes, all right? So I'm not... But this is the group of people that I got to go kayaking with. And this is the group of people that I got to go hiking with. And these are the group of people that I got to play laser tag with. And I got first place. And -and so-and-so got last place. This is the group. Sometimes we're good at stuff that it's like, this is not what we should be working toward. Let's work towards the gospel. Let's work towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, lastly, serve alongside people that are going to heaven. Look at the end of verse number three. Whose names are in the book of of life serve alongside people that are going the same direction have of the, the same mind focus on the gospel and that are on their way to heaven let me just for one second stop and explain something to you and then we've got to fly through the rest of this okay i know that dating is obviously an application for this for the group in this room if joy comes from serving alongside of others, let me just stop for just a second and make an application to that, is that joy comes from serving alongside others that you also may be married to or dating. And if you think for a second that, well, this guy's kind of like a a deadbeat and doesn't really, like, care about God, doesn't really care about the things of God, or, or this girl doesn't really, like, want to come to church, or she doesn't really want to be a part of things, and she doesn't seem to want to grow, that does not change at marriage, okay? I say this all the time in this class and probably just need to make a continuous slide for it, is that marriage does not minimize your problems, marriage magnifies your problems. And if it's a problem when you're dating, it's going to be a problem when you're married. It doesn't go away, it doesn't change. Like, oh, looky there, he got a ring on on his finger and now he's ready to go serve on the bus route, okay? That doesn't change. So if joy comes from serving alongside of others, you better make sure that those closest to you are people that like to serve. Are people that when you say, hey, let's go do this and let's go help out so-and-so, they're not like, oh, are you serious? I don't want to do that. That's so awful. That's probably a good sign to maybe distance yourself a little bit hey, they need to help in the four-year-olds tonight. Let's go do it. That's a bad illustration because I don't really like serving in the four-year-olds if I'm honest, all right? And I have a three-year-old. It's just everybody else's kids. It's not mine, all right? (laughs) But if there's not a heart to serve, if there's not a desire to do more for God, that might not be a source of joy for you 20, 30 years down the road. So take that into consideration. So so joy comes from serving alongside of others. Secondly, joy comes from awareness. You say, where do you get that? Look at verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Someone want to remind me where this is being written from? Jail. And he says rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord only when it's convenient? Nope. Rejoice in the Lord only when you have something to rejoice about? Nope. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And here's the sad truth about most Christians. Not most Christians, some Christians. We'll go with that. Is that for some Christians, they cannot remember the last thing they rejoiced in. And thank you, God, for that opportunity you gave me. Lord, thank you for working this out. Lord, thank you for guiding me to this place. Lord, thank you for this moment or this opportunity. Lord, thank you for that. Most of us, we live out our days having sung the song, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and never stopping to give joy and praise back to God. To me, that is a simple lack of self-awareness, of spiritual awareness, of where we're at. So what are some things that we should be aware of? If joy comes from awareness, then what can we look at and say, okay, this is where I can get some joy. First of all, an awareness of your rejoicing. Found in verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, an awareness of your consistency. How often? Always. Man, gotten a wreck on my way to work. That is discouraging. Well, nothing to rejoice about today. No, Lord. Don't know why, but I'm thankful that you led me to this point. That's not how most of us live, is it? That's not. That's not how I would respond. Okay. Like, are you serious? I got to be on the phone for 30 minutes now because I got to call in this wreck, and then I've got to go talk to so and so, and I've got, and then I've got to be without this car. That's not the way we typically respond to negative things. So what is your consistency in rejoicing? When you go through something difficult, is there a grounds for rejoicing? When you go through something positive, do you rejoice? Okay? Thirdly, an awareness not only of your rejoicing and of your consistency, but an awareness of your obedience. Verse number four, while we have sung it all of our lives, is actually a command when you think about it. It's not an option. So here's what we could say with this verse is that I'm either rejoicing in what I'm doing and what God has done for me, or I'm disobeying. Eh, I don't really like that, right? I'm either joyful about the hard times that's going on in my life. I'm either joyful about the positive times that are going on in my life. I'm either excited and looking forward to what God's going to do, or I'm disobeying say that's too harsh well don't take it up with me okay you're either rejoicing always which i think it's funny that one of the shortest verses in scripture he has to give a reminder at the end of it okay rejoice in the lord always oh what should i do and again i say rejoice like like let me drive this home to you twice And sometimes there just needs to be a simple awareness of your obedience. Sometimes with with our kids, we have to almost rehearse the disobedience. Like we'll we'll confront them on something. We'll say, hey, you're really struggling with this. No, I'm not. "Uh, Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Okay, let's go over the last three days. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened oh and sometimes as an adult we need god to do that like god i'm doing really good obeying and god's like no i'm no you're not yes i am i went to church okay you went to church but you did this 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 oh and god simply says rejoicing is a matter of obedience. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then uh, number four, an awareness of your disposition. (laughs) This is going to be fun, okay? An awareness of your disposition. He says this, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. How many of you have read that word moderation known unto all men. And you kind of thought, that seems like it would be an important verse, right? You ever read that? Okay. Anybody know what moderation means? Moderation? Moderation? You probably do. Okay. (laughs) Everybody's like, I think I do, but I feel like this is a trick question, so don't really. If you actually go and you look at the Greek word, which by the way, this word is not used that often in your New Testament. But if you actually go and you look at the word, it's talking about being suitable, equitable, and responsible. Suitable is the one that kind of popped out to me. Like I always thought that moderation kind of meant like, well, yeah, you just don't want to like wear fancy clothes or something like that. Like. Like, don't drive too nice of a car because then it looks like you're wasting your money before the Lord is at hand. Which, by the way, how many of you ever had someone pose the question to you, if you knew the date that God was coming back, what would you do? Have you ever heard somebody pose that question? Do any of you have, like, some answers in your brain? Okay. I heard a new one the other day that was the smartest one that I've ever heard. I'll share it with you. Okay. We were in a staff meeting, and my dad made the statement of, like, if you guys knew that the Lord was coming back, like, be honest, what would you do? And like a bunch of, he's like, because I know what a, it seems like a bunch, of, a bunch of people are doing right now. Like, so it looks like a bunch of people are just choosing to do whatever they want to do. And one of our staff guys said, I would go in so much debt that I would just find everything that I could possibly have ever wanted and go in debt knowing that I wasn't going to have to pay for it. And it's like, that is brilliant. Like if you could even time it to where you didn't even have a monthly payment, like, Lord, let me just enjoy this for like the 26 days of February. Like, I don't even want to pay for it March 1st. But like, if you're coming back like March 28th, then I, then my payments due, then like, let me enjoy it. for. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. He was like, I'd go buy a Harley. I'd go buy a Corvette. And, he, and then he was like, and can you imagine like what the car dealers would feel like when it's like, Oh, this guy obviously knew something the rest of us didn't know. Like, he just went and took out a $50,000, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Loan. Loan, that's the word I'm looking for. Loan and bought this car, and now we're responsible for it. So I guess they would get it back unless the car dealer was saved. Anyways, that's, that was beyond the point, all right? <laughs> Let your moderation be known to all, man, all men. Your equity. Your equity, Your responsibility your suitableness, and let me, let, let me just say this, your appropriateness. Here's what he's saying. Let people know that there's something different about you. And here's what I have written under this, is that sometimes, I, you ever read through the Gospels, and sometimes you think to yourself, man, Jesus would have been a very interesting person to be around. Like, wouldn't you love to have just experienced a little bit of what the disciples did? And sometimes I have this mental image of how Jesus interacted and, and, and kind of discoursed with people. And sometimes it's not at all the way that I see most Christians interact. Like, sometimes I think about if Jesus went through the drive-thru somewhere and they messed up his order. And the way that some of us respond, like, are you serious? I said no pickles. So you go back in and it's like, I said no pickles. Like, what was wrong? Like, did you not hear me? Did you like, you're just mad about it. And sometimes it's not even that we're mad, but we're short. I said no pickles. And we like toss it across the counter. And they're like, well, that's why we gave you pickles, because we knew you'd be ticked about it. And sometimes I don't think we realize what our disposition does. Today I went to Chick-fil-A and uh, I did the little mobile order thing. All right. I have the app. I am a Chick-fil-A one app owner. So I pulled up and I put my number in um, of which which stall I was at. And the guy who was serving, like, have you ever just been able to tell, like, people have a long day, like, like you can just see it on their face like the poor guy it was like an older guy and he was sweating like his little vest was like wrapped around his head like someone had tied it on i'm just kidding it wasn't that bad but it was like all twisted and like he's carrying out these baskets and now the way that the chick-fil-a parking lot is like you have to go down the steps like i it was like I, it was one of those moments where it's like I feel like I need to ask if he needs help. Like, you yeah, want me go help you carry it? And so like he got to got to me, and like <laughs> it was so bad because I actually saw the drink spilling in the other bucket. Like I was like, ooh, that bag's gonna be nice and soggy. And so he like I rolled down my window, and he like came to the window. He's like Joel, and I was like. That's me. And I like felt like I needed to be like, and I'm not even that type of person. Like, that's normally Lauren. Like, be really nice to him because he looks like he's tired. And like normally I'm like, yeah, you look like you're tired. I'm tired too. Give me my food, all right? <laughs> so she's the one who's like that, but for some reason, like I just felt like that I needed to be overly nice. So I was like, that's me. And he was like, All right. And I said, thank you. And he goes, My pleasure. And I said, Hey, you have a great day. And he literally looked at me and he goes, thanks. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But your disposition matters. Okay? How you interact with people matters. And it should never be said of a Christian, well, I don't want what they have or what they had because of this. Can you imagine what we will stand before God and have to answer for and how we interacted with people? Sometimes even people that we'll spend eternity with. So your disposition and then lastly an awareness of your preparation. An awareness of your preparation. He says the Lord is at hand. When was the last time that you consciously changed something because you thought God was going to, because you thought Jesus was coming back? When was the last time you said, I'm going to change X in my life? Because the Lord is at hand. And then thirdly, joy comes from prayer and peace from God. Joy comes from prayer and peace from God. These are my favorite verses. We're going to fly through just a couple of questions straight out of these verses. I would encourage you to go back and maybe find some of the notes from um, other lessons we've done on these verses. I I think that... um, I preached a sermon in a Wednesday night that also goes through these verses uh, in the main service. But let me ask you just a couple of questions. That first phrase there says, be careful for nothing. That word careful is anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. Say, how in the world do I do that? So first question is, what are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? So if you're not supposed to be anxious for anything, you're not supposed to be worked up over anything, how do you do that? So here's the here's kind of the way that we respond to it. What are you praying about? What are you praying about? He says, but in everything, Lord, I'm worked up over this. Well, guess what? That qualifies as everything. So you better take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I don't know what you're trying to do with this relationship. Well, guess what? That classifies as everything, so you better take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I don't know what you're trying to do with my education or do with my finances or do in my family or do whatever it may be. Lord, I don't understand this. So guess what? Take it to the Lord in prayer. So what are you praying about? Thirdly, what are you asking God about? You say that's the same thing. No, it's not. Look at the verse. He says, but in everything by prayer. Prayer is prayer, okay? Doesn't get much more simple than that supplication gives really a means and a form of begging lord this is what i'm asking you for lord i can't move on lord i am seeking you i am asking you i am begging you for this but then notice fourthly not only what are you asking god about but what are you thanking god for I wonder what would change in our hearts and in our lives if we we began to thank God for the hard things in our life that drew us closer to him. Lord, today was hard, but I'm thankful that it caused me to pray more. Lord, I don't get this situation, but Lord, you're using it in me, and I'm going to thank you for it. What are you thanking God for? And then number five, what are you letting God handle? God handle. Hey Point, we had a little bit of technical difficulties there on this lesson but we thought that the remaining content was important enough to go ahead and make another video to tack on to our original lesson that was taught here in class and so we're in Philippians chapter number four we were concluding really the thought of what are you letting God handle out of verse number six and when we talk about our prayer life and how Our prayer life brings us joy because it's what brings us peace here's what we're basically saying there's a word in there in verse number six that says by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God your prayer life is you giving God permission to handle your problems A lot of times, we assume that we are the ones that are handling our own problems, but it's really just a matter of surrender. And prayer is surrendering your problems, whatever's going on in your life, maybe something that's going on in your family, maybe something that's going on in your relationships, Prayer is you allowing God or giving God permission to handle that. So what are you letting God handle? Or if you wanted to even rephrase it like this, what are you trying to handle that you need to let God handle? But then lastly, under uh, this thought from verses 6 and 7, is what are you being kept by? Verse number 7 says this, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Your sustenance, you being alive, you being kept by God has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. A lot of times we like to believe that we're the ones who's keeping ourselves alive. We're the ones who's sustaining ourselves. When we understand that the Bible teaches us that God is our sustainer, he's the one who put breath in our lungs to make us a living soul, but he is also the one who puts breath in our lungs every single morning that we wake up And if it were not for God, we would not be keeping ourselves at all. And so when we look at verse number seven, it says, shall keep your hearts and minds. You are not the only stabilizer and sustainer of your heart and mind. Yes, you have maybe some impact on it, but you need to let God be the sustainer of your heart and mind. And that only comes as you begin to find the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, which according to verse number six is done through prayer. And so we're talking about how the joy comes from peace and joy comes from our prayer life or peace comes from that prayer life. And so I want to conclude with one more thought from verses 8 and 9 is that joy also comes from what we think And how we live. What we think and how we live. You'll see this in verses 8 and 9. He says, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Joy comes from what we think and how we live. Verse number eight is probably one of the most familiar verses when we refer to how we think about God and what we should be spending our time thinking about. And here's the sad truth is that most of us lack joy, not because of maybe some external crisis or some type of situation that's going on in our life. Most of us lack joy simply because of what we think about. So what are you thinking about right now? What do you spend your time pondering? What do you spend your time maybe indulging in? Where do you let your mind take you? Is it a place that God would be pleased with? Or could it be summarized by these things as something that is true? Sometimes we just have a tendency of lying to ourselves and that robs us of our joy. Would it be honest? Would it be just? Would it be pure? Would it be lovely? Would it be of good report? Would it have any virtue in it? If you're not thinking on things that have those characteristics, then let's just be very honest. You will lack joy. You will lack the joy that comes from God because you haven't spent any time thinking about things that are of God. Because all the things that are of God have those characteristics. And so what are you thinking about And then lastly is this out of verse number nine, how are you living? You see, Paul knew that it was not just enough to have a prayer life, to find the peace of God, to focus on what you were thinking on, to focus on who you were spending time with, but he wanted you to live it out as well, and he wanted this church to live it out. So he says this in verse number nine. He says, those things which you have both learned and received. So now he's talking about, this is what I've taught you. This is what maybe some of your leaders have taught you. You've received them. You've accepted them, and heard, and seen in me, not only what you've been taught, but what you've heard, now what you've seen, maybe what you've seen exemplified. What should you do with those things? He says, do. You should act upon it. and the God of peace shall be with you. We introduced this lesson as kind of being what the whole series has been about about where is joy found and here's what we have come to the conclusion from with these verses is that joy is found in your proximity to god joy is found as you begin to live out the christian life joy is found when you begin to experience the peace that can only come from god where is that found that joy is found in serving alongside of others That joy is found in an awareness of what God is doing in your life and how good he has been to you. That joy is found through prayer and through peace that can come from God. And then that joy is found in what you spend your time thinking about and how you spend your time living that out. So let me encourage you. Stop trying to find your joy in all of the wrong places. Stop trying to find your joy in maybe the friendships that you have outside of maybe ones that God has for you. Stop finding your joy in an awareness of what this world has to offer. Stop finding your joy in who else you can go and talk to and start finding your joy and peace in God. How do you do that? You begin by what you think about. And what you think about will eventually be what you talk about. And what you talk about will eventually be what you begin to live out. And so let's spend all of our days on this earth, not seeking joy that is temporary that comes from this world but joy that can be found in serving alongside others in ministry, joy that can be found in awareness of just how good God has been to us, joy that can be found through prayer and the peace that comes from prayer, but joy that can be found in thinking about things that are pleasing to God and then living those things out. Thanks for watching. Sorry for the technical difficulties. We're working on it, but hopefully you enjoyed lesson number nine in this series on finding joy. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.